This is Mike Quinlan, and you are listening to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. There is one constant in business, and that is that every one of us will eventually exit, and sometimes sooner than we think. In this podcast, we discuss topics to help you with elite preparation, so when you're ready for transition, you won't just exit, you will join that exclusive group of owners who have accomplished an elite exit. We talk with former owners, exit advisors, and a host of other experts to help you increase the value of your exit, execute it on your terms, and most importantly, do it without regret. So let's join the show. Hi, everybody. It's Mike Quinlan. Welcome back to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. I've got a special guest with me today. I've got Nathan Corbett. Nathan is a partner in the Business Owner Transition Academy and one of our lead advisors. He is the alphabet soup of designations behind his name. He is a CPA. He's a CFA, which is a chartered financial analyst. He's a certified financial planner. And he is also a certified exit planner. Nathan recently gave a speech, a presentation at a large industry conference up in Nashville. And we're going to talk to Nathan about what his thoughts are on macroeconomic themes and where we are currently in 2022 with all the things that are going on in the world with the war in Ukraine interest rates, inflation, supply chain difficulties, all of those things and how they impact you as a business owner. So Nathan, welcome aboard. Uh, Thanks for having me, Mike. It's always, always fun to be with you. And it's especially exciting when you get to talk to a a subject as simple as the economy, um, especially these days. Right. Well, there's nothing to it. The good thing right. about uh, the good thing about economists is they're kind of like weathermen, right? You get paid to be wrong, right? <laughs> That's right. That's the idea. I, I always get a kick out of the idea of uh, economists that are trying to forecast the future. And when I look back at uh, most of the economics classes I took years and years ago, a lot of the things that we talk or a lot of things we're experiencing today were never even mentioned in those classes. And so it's just amazing how this changes as time goes on. Right, exactly. And so here we are in the first part of May. We really didn't see where we are today coming in uh, in January. We were still thinking about COVID and all of that kind of stuff. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what your presentation was all about, what the themes are, and uh, let's work through it and talk about how these themes relate to our business owners that we work with. Thanks, Mike. And and so the, it was a, a lot of fun doing these kinds of talks, but you know the bigger thing is is for us as business owners to really kind of step back and think about how all this stuff, right, this noise that we're hearing about, whether it's news media or what we're reading or whatever is going on in the world, how does that actually impact us? And at the conference, we talked about three themes, and I think of these themes as kind of like symptoms of a sick person, right? Symptoms are often not necessarily the problem. It's what you're seeing. It's what you're feeling. It's, it's what's going on. Um, and so you have to, a lot of times, dig a little bit deeper to, to, to really explore what the underlying issue actually is. And, and those symptoms or themes we talked about were, you know, the, the concept of the, the United States really pulling away 
from this uh, global order that we've seen uh, for decades. And we can talk more about that in a minute. Uh, the other of which was monetary policy, right? We're, we're seeing that big time in the news right now. Just this week, uh, the Fed uh, started hiking rates up again, and they're signaling for, fur for further increases later on. And the other is, is what about the supply chain, right? We, we started sort of seeing this play out when COVID started uh, in kind of that early 2020 for all the reasons we would expect given a, a global pandemic. But it hasn't stopped, right? It's, it's continued to kind of progressively get worse. And so how do we think about this as business owners? And um, you know, why are we dealing with all of this stuff now? That's, that's kind of what the, the conversation was about. Okay. Well, let's get started. Talk to us about uh, about disengagement and what that means. Obviously, if if you look at what we are doing with our aid to the Ukraine, we're obviously very involved, but that's not really what you're talking about, correct? That's right. That's right. And, and I'm not trying to say by any means the United States is going back to this you know ultra isolationist policy that you know we've all studied in the history books. Really, what I'm talking about is the way that we engage the world looks very different now than what it did under, say, the Cold War kind of era uh, thinking, right? The way we address the world at large looks very different now than what it did then. And, and Mike, to maybe fast forward a half step further and talk about the, the two problems that are kind of you know, set underneath those symptoms it's really this, the idea of the global order is, is the first problem that we have seen, right? So after World War II, uh, there has been a period, a 70-year period of time in which we have never seen more unity, as crazy it is to, to say the word unity these days, but we've never seen more unity around the globe as what we have seen for the last 70 years. It's, it's very, very unusual in history to see that level of global cooperation. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that, but what we've started to see really since about you know the early 90s, 1990, 1991 or so, when you really got to the end of the Cold War, what has happened in terms of the global order? And we've started seeing these little things start to deteriorate since that time. And, and we're certainly seeing more of that now with things like what's going on in, in Russia with uh, in, in Ukraine with Russia invading. You're starting to see more and more of that play out. So that's, you know, that global order and the de deterioration, that's really the first big concept, big problem that we talked about. Uh, the other is that of global demographics. And, and kind of you, you layer these two things on top of each other. And global demographics, what we're really talking about is the fact that in basically every developed country on the planet right now, we have seen for the past three decades, uh, demographics start to age. We've started seeing more, uh, people who are not necessarily replacing themselves in their economy. That creates longer term issues. You know, the kind of standing joke is that it takes, oh, about 30 years or so to create a 30 year old. <laughs> and so the great thing about demographics is it's really math. You're really just doing math and you're projecting forward. And so it's actually not that complicated. Um, has a lot of really complicated implications, um, especially as you you bring that down and you start looking at the economic level, because what you're really trying to get to with demographics is you're trying to get to a balance, a balance between the idea of production and consumption, 
right? Those, those are two things they definitely did talk about in those economic classes. But you're trying to balance this idea of how many producers do we have in the economy with how many, how many consumers we have in the economy. And when you run into imbalances in those two things, that's when it tends to start grinding down on an economy and you start to see economies get into a decline. That's what can be very dangerous for a, an economy. And so that's, those are the two big problems that we talked about during the conference. Okay. You're just seeing the symptoms of those problems really play out today. All right. So let's, let's go deeper into that. So those are the two yeah. major themes. Now let's talk about kind of those sub themes that are associated with that. Yeah. So uh, American disengagement, right? This, that was really the, the first theme I just mentioned a minute ago. And the idea here is that, uh, you know, there were two big reasons that for the first, uh, you know, 40, 50 years or so uh, after World War II, that the United States was highly engaged in that global order. The first is obvious, right? It was, it was the Cold War. It was Russia and the, and the uh, USSR and trying to make sure that we were in a stance where, uh, you know, there wasn't another global war. That was a big part of the U.S. trying to create this system of alliances that really spanned the globe and ultimately did end the war, right? It, it was a great area of, uh, era of prosperity. But the, um, the other reason, and, and this one is one that I think we're uh, maybe a little more familiar with today, is energy. Uh, you know, up until the early 2000s, there was one thing, you know, in terms of natural resources and labor and everything else that you need to really run an economy, there's really one thing that the United States could not produce within the North American continent, and that was energy. Yes, we had energy reserves, but specifically as it related to oil, right, we had to import most of that. But then come the early 2000s, well, we had the shale revolution. And by the time we got into the you know, 2010s timeframe, effectively, anytime we want to be, we're energy independent. That makes our stance towards everything international very different, right? We, we're not dependent on foreign countries for energy if we don't want to be. And so it changes the way we need to address these foreign countries. And so that's why we're just not as engaged in that global economy because we're not worried about the Soviet Union the way we used to be anymore. I mean, I've talked to some some uh, younger individuals, uh, specifically at the conference, but but also otherwise. And there's there's a lot of people today that don't remember what life was like when there was a Soviet Union. It, it's hard, you know, for, for those of us who did live during that time frame, right? That was a big deal. But that's not necessarily the case anymore, and it changes the way uh, we think when we're not worried about energy, when we're not worried about. Uh, you know this existential threat, so it just changes our our stance and our and our mind mindset. With our leadership in NATO and kind of reengagement, there's much more energy in NATO now to be a strong force. Finland and Sweden traditionally uh, been great allies and participants with NATO, but not been in NATO. Now there's fear that is generated from the Soviet invasion, or not Soviet, that's me being an old guy, but uh, that's <laughs> Russian. <laughs> See, I fought the Cold War, so <laughs> I can talk deeply about this, but the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You're now going to have a have much more alignment inside NATO, a much greater landmass that is now bordering Russia. And so you've got this uh, a greater bifurcation 
and further with sanctions and all the other things that are going on with Russia, really everybody in the world is distancing themselves from Russia. So do you think that based on the comments you've made so far that this period of time that we're going through now may change our participation with the rest of the world? Or do you think that really it's it's systemic in that because of the factors that you named earlier with energy and population, do you feel like we're still going to, after this piece is over, kind of pull back to the environment that you were speaking of earlier? Mike, I don't know if I have a good answer for that question. I, I think that is the question a lot of people are, are thinking about, especially in Russia right now. Right. Um, because one of the big surprises, uh, if you can call it that, uh, of the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been the global unity, specifically in Europe, but even beyond that, uh, and the, the outcry of what has gone on. Um, you know, my opinion is, and, and this is just my opinion, that I don't think that was the expectation going into it. I don't think most people anticipated the level of unity that Europe in particular, but the, the globe more broadly, uh, with the United States and everybody else, has come, the way the world has come behind Ukraine in this, I don't think that was anticipated on the front end of this. And so I do think it's going to be interesting to see what level of involvement specifically the United States plays going forward. Now, uh, Mike, to, to maybe answer that question a little bit more directly, I don't think we get back to a place, not without something more dramatic than what has happened thus far. I don't think we get back to a place where our approach to the globe is what it was, say, in the 80s or even the 90s for that matter. Um, I do think that there is a scenario that plays out where we're more engaged than what we are right now, but I think it's going to look different. Um, you know, I know earlier today you and I talked about technology and some of the things that have uh, come about over the last few decades that has allowed us to do the things that we used to do with manpower to do that remotely. Um, and and I, I think that's going to be a bigger, bigger issue, but not just for, for the United States from a, a, a military standpoint, but really even to business owners, right? How do we address this to get back to, you know, what do we as business owners do and how do we think about what's coming around the corner? Let's take this first concept, American disengagement, and let's mm -hmm. extrapolate it to the business owner. What does it mean? What is different from the way we were in that 70 year period that you discussed earlier to now where we're, we're disengaging? What does that mean to the business owner? Well, I, I would actually link that to the other two things that we talked about there, right? Monetary policy and supply chain. Um, you know, supply chain, I know, is a big one that's on everybody's mind. And it, it started around that time of COVID. But uh, one of the arguments I've made is that this, this supply chain stuff that we're seeing right now, um, what would have taken, you know, 10 years to happen, took about 10 months to happen because of COVID. We were going to see, because of some of the other things uh, going on in the broader globe with demographics and, and economic trends and U.S. disengagement, we were going to see supply chain issues anyways. Maybe not to the degree that we're seeing right now, right? There's certainly been an, a COVID overlay of that, but you can't have, you know, developing economies worldwide running into supply and, and consumption and production issues without having an impact on global economy, specifically exports, which obviously here in the United States impacts our supply chain. 
So we're, we're going to continue seeing some of this supply chain stuff even after we get this kind of COVID lag that, that ends. Um, however, I actually think there's a lot of room, and, and this is something we can get into in a minute here, but I think there's a lot of room in that aspect of it for the U.S. to actually come out on top because that has implications that kind of play out throughout the business cycle. Um, things like, for example, we, we've seen continued interest in companies locating their suppliers, locating their vendors within the borders of the United States, um, more so now than what they did 10 years ago, and more so then than they did 10 years before that. You're starting to see this trend of businesses coming back to the United States. That has really positive implications for business within the United States. And so I think that's one of those tailwinds that a lot of people might miss if all they're seeing is the global disruption of what's going on. Whether well, it's American disengagement, monetary policy and supply mm -hmm. and supply chain troubles, monetary policy, we haven't gone too far into that yet. What what comments do you have there? Yeah, so so monetary policy, right? What what is the Fed doing? And it's interesting, every time they do stuff like this, you know, it feels like they've never done this before. <laughs> that's that's just not true. You know, we have been here before. In fact, it hasn't even been that long since we've been here before. Um, you can go back to, you know, 2017, 2018, that time frame. Um, we were having the exact same discussion then, with one exception. I'll talk about that in a minute. We're having the exact same discussion then that we're having right now around the Fed trying to do two things, trying to increase interest rates and decrease their balance sheet. You know, at the time, going into this, they basically had interest rates set on the floor and, and they had a balance sheet of around $4 trillion, you know, depending on the date you're looking at it. Well, the idea was, we, you know, the Fed wanted to get interest rates up to the 25 or 3%. That was kind of their target they were looking for. They felt like that was the healthy long-term rate that they wanted to get to. And they wanted to roughly cut their balance sheet in half, go from $4 trillion to around $2 trillion. Well, you, you look at what happened, right? Well, they started increasing interest rates. They also started decreasing their balance sheet, which is exactly what they're doing right now. Now, they didn't get very far because in early 2020, something happened. Well, COVID happened. And as soon as that happened, right, the Fed started responding. And they respond in a very dramatic way. Not only did they not cut their balance sheet to $2 trillion, they went from $4 trillion Instead of to two, they went from four to almost nine, if you look at it earlier this year. Likewise, instead of going from you know interest rates on the floor up to two and a half or three percent, well, they put them right back on the floor. And so now here we are, you know, 2022, we're trying to rewind and, and unwind some of that policy. And that's what's giving some some angst in the in the markets right now, as people are trying to figure out, well, what does this mean? And is this a permanent change where they're just going to keep increasing rates forever? Or are they going to be reactionary? Are we going to see a response if, if the economy or, you know, what happens if something gets out of line? And that's what everybody's trying to figure out. Hmm. Um, so here domestically, we've been here before. Um, this Nothing that we're seeing right now is a surprise except for, and I mentioned there, there is one thing that's different this time, and that's inflation. Right. When we did this in 2017, inflation wasn't running at 8%. Right now, inflation is as hot as it's been in 40 years. And the question is, how far is the Fed going to have to go to get inflation under control? 
Um, but again, even that it's, it's been a long time. And for a lot of us, uh, you know, it's been uh, when we were very young or even before we were born. But it's been a long time since we've seen interest rates as high as what they are right now. But here's the point. They didn't stay that way forever. Right. If you look at the, the peak in the late 70s, early 80s of where interest rates were, uh, or excuse me, where inflation was in the late 70s, early 80s, when it got back down to what we would call normal, it was about a two to three year time frame, depending on how you look at it. Um, so, again, if, if that plays out again, well, we're a third of the way through that. Um, but I, I don't expect for that to be the case this time. I do expect inflation will get, you know, again, under control, but with a big caveat. And that caveat is that, you know, we're used to for the last, you know, 15 years or so, we're used to inflation running at like one, two percent. Right. I don't think it gets back to that. And I think that's something that most people, you know, haven't really reconciled because, I mean, inflation just wasn't even a, a, a thing people talked about for 15 years. That's highly unusual. And given some of the demographic stuff and, and some of the other supply chain issues that I do think are going to continue to be problems, I don't think inflation gets back to one and a half percent, at least not anytime soon. Well, so let me ask you this. We work with business owners that are in mid-stage growth and we work with business owners that are late stage transition, right? So those late stage transition people typically are probably 36 months to 48 months away from executing a transition that could be a sale to a third party. It could be a internal transition. And obviously, as interest rates go higher and higher, cost of capital for those buyers goes higher and higher. And the, yeah, the ROI that has to be generated on an acquisition needs to be maintained. It's really important for the folks that are listening to this particular podcast or watching this video to think about how they can position their companies to be sellable and be at the top of the list in this environment. There's still a ton of liquidity out there that is looking to find a home. And what I mean by that is that, you know, all of these private equity companies out there, they've raised all of this money. That money has to be executed to purchase good investments for their investors. So what are your comments around the impact of inflation, the higher interest rates on those mid-stage growth companies and what they might be trying to accomplish and those late stage transition companies and how does it impact their their saleability, right? Their ability to transition itself. Yeah, you know, Mike, one of the one of the key aspects that we talk to business owners about on the front end, and it relates directly to what you're talking about, is you need to have an idea of when you want to sell your business, um, because it, we're, we're all aware there's there's ebbs and flows in the economy, um, and what you might be able to sell a business for today, can you sell it for that in 12 months or 24 months or 60 months, right? What does that look like in terms of the economic and the M&A cycle? That, by and large, is some of the things we're talking about right here because there's kind of two things that are playing uh, kind of opposite each other right now, one of which you just mentioned, right? It's that uh, availability of capital, and there is a ton of liquidity in the market right now. Um, I mean, whether it's private equity buyers, strategic buyers, there's more cash on the books of, of most companies here in the United States 
than what there has been in a long time. It's a very, very cash rich uh, time frame that we live in right now. Whereas on the other end of that are interest rates, right? And interest rates right now are still pretty low. But to your point, as interest rates start to rise, then it means that anybody who's wanting to buy a business, anyone who's wanting to buy anything, right? They're, if they're investing, they're going to charge a higher rate of return for that investment because interest rates, your cost of capital is higher, which means you're in order to get that rate of return, I have to pay less for it. So that, on the other hand, starts to drive down. So you've got these two kind of opposing things. And the question is, what does that look like? Now, my take on it is this. I think it depends on which sector of the economy you're in as to how that impacts you. Um, for example, there are some businesses that tend to be very cash flow oriented. Um, I was talking to a gentleman just yesterday who had done some investing in things like uh, uh, self-storage facilities. And the idea, idea being there is it's, it's a fairly low capital requirement on the front end. You don't have to, you know, there's some building costs and things like that to it, but it's not, you're, you're not putting a ton of money into this. And it's very low in terms of my uh, upkeep on a lot of these businesses. But once they start cash flowing, right, it's, it's very continuous income. Um, when you have an environment like what we're looking at now, I think that's going to be very favorable for some specific types of businesses, whereas others that take more capital on the front end, right? If you've got a really large capital outlay that you've got to make, well, that may be a great business long term, but it could push down the, the returns, which again would push down my, uh, my ability to sell it today. So I think that's going to be one, Mike, to, to maybe not bounce too much around that question, but it's going to depend on which part of the economy I'm operating in as a business owner. Got it. So for those, so that kind of covers that question around that late stage company, but for those growth companies, those people that are maybe looking to access capital, they have, um, you know, banking relationships, they're, they are concerned about the cost of production and cost of goods. So the supply chain issues and the inflationary issues that reduce their margins, what kind of comments do you have for those mid-stage growth companies? I would start with what we always start with, Mike, and that's our I'm good checklist. Um, what's the I and I'm good, Mike? Increasing cash flow. Increasing cash flow. That's right. So so the first thing that we're looking at, if I'm that mid-stage company, is what do I need to be thinking about in terms of my cash conversion cycle, right? How do I how do I get and keep more cash sooner? Right. That's that's a whole different discussion for a different day. But really honing in on what is our cash flow and how do we make sure that that stays uh, steady? The other of which, and I think this is probably the, the one that we really need to, to keep our eye on as, as business owners, is our availability of capital. I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of capital out there right now. That's not always the case. Right. We have seen times in the last 20 years where capital dried up and it dried up very, very quickly. And so this is a really good time as business owners. We want to stay nimble. We want to stay, we want to make sure that we've got access to capital and that we're maintaining a healthy capital balance inside of our balance sheet. Um, that's going to be really important. Things like lines of credit, right? If we don't have a line of credit, it's a really good time to get one. I'm not saying we have to use it, but it's a really good time to make sure we've got a healthy line of credit that way, we've got the ability to stay nimble. Um, 
interest rates are still low right now, right? If we can be strategic as that mid-range company, if we can be strategic, it's a great time to expand, right? I don't anticipate the cost of capital is going down. So if I put that off another 12 months or 24 months or 36 months, it could cost me a whole lot. And I think there's going to be some early mover advantage, again, if we can be strategic, but don't violate what I said earlier. We've got to also stay nimble. And so those are going to be two things that business owners really have to evaluate. What are we doing to grow our company? Are there strategic opportunities that I can do today to grow? And if so, I think it's a great time, right? Especially in that environment where I mentioned earlier, where I think we're going to have a lot of businesses moving back to the United States whether that's uh, our, our supply chain, um, vendors, we're going to see more and more of this back within the United States. And again, that's a big tailwind to, to the economy in general, but business owners specifically. Yeah, you mentioned the IMBA checklist. And I think that in any time where you may have a, uh, a softening of the M&A environment, you know, businesses will still sell. What we want to do is we want to be at the high end of those of those businesses that that can sell. The I'm good checklist you just mentioned increasing cash flow and documenting how you're going to increase that cash flow. That's a great thing. But one of the things that I think that for that mid stage growth company that we should really be thinking about is documenting operations and and optimizing those operational processes. Things of like supply chain management, making sure that you have multiple vendors for the raw goods that you're taking in or the products that you're distributing or selling. Going through your financial operational processes, making sure that your controls look good documenting that O, right? That documentation of operational processes is it's just big, right? And you have to think about if you are the owner coming in to buy your company in a economic time where, you know, it's not 12 months ago, it's not 18 months ago, it's now, and it's different. If you were buying your company, what would you want to see? How would you want to see how that person, how you are running your company so that you can put it at the top of the list and maintain that higher end of the valuation multiple? All right. We've talked about that. We beat that down. We talked about the (laughs) I'm Good Checklist. It looks like you have some predictions for the future or some recommendations for business owners as they kind of deal with some of the uncertainties that are out there right now. Yeah, so I, I tell you what, Mike. I want to, one thing. I, I think we ought to address first is going back to some of the monetary policy stuff. Yeah, um, because I think this is going to affect you know kind of what how do, how do business owners think about this? Because there's two big drivers in this. One is the Fed, right? Um, most of us are, are pretty familiar with what the Fed uh, is doing, right? They've got a dual mandate um, where they want to try and keep uh, employment as high as possible, right? Low unemployment. And we want to keep inflation relatively low. Um, they're also trying to keep a, a relatively um, uh, steady economy, right? They don't want to see the economy do what, quite frankly, it has done for the last five years. They don't want to see a lot of that. They're trying to mitigate that. That's why they're trying to raise rates and cut their balance sheet now is to start handling inflation. Right? That's what they're trying to do. On the other side of that, though, is Congress. And Congress is not in agreement with what the Fed is doing right now. You see, Congress actually, believe it or not, 
despite what they may say on the news, they like inflation as long as they don't get voted out. And here's why they like inflation. They like inflation because it means that they can pay off debt with less valuable currency, right? That's why Congress likes inflation. They like it because it becomes cheaper to spend money. So I say all that to say this, expect there, especially in an election year like we're in right now, expect there to be conflict between what the Fed is trying to do and what you're going to see coming out of Washington, yeah. right? That's going to play into things like tax policy. Um, that has been a, a big deal for several years. It's going to continue to be a big deal because in a, in a time frame where, just to put some perspective into this, I, I think last year, if you look at the amount of uh, money that was spent on interest in the United States, it was roughly half a trillion dollars. If interest rates go up a percent, right, which think about what the Fed's trying to do, but yep. if interest rates go up 1%, it roughly doubles that. In that environment, Congress's ability to have this, this big plethora of cheap spending goes away. Tax policy becomes much more, much, much more important in that environment. And so that, in turn, means we as business owners, how do we make decisions in an environment where tax rates are going up? in an environment where it's harder to get employees or where things are costing more, it's harder to get supplies. Um, that's why some of the things we just mentioned there, Mike, around staying nimble and being able to address some of these things in real time as they're happening, it's going to be really important for business owners over the next decade. Yep. Well, listen, one good thing that I saw this morning was the jobs report was way higher than what they expected it to be. So yep. people are going back to work. So that's good. So maybe that'll that that tight labor market that we've been experiencing and some of those attitudes towards going back to work are, are changing. So hopefully that's <laughs> the case. Hold people. People still like to, uh, what's the phrase, eat and live indoors. Yeah, well, they, um, so they I just suspect we'll see more and more people going back to work. <laughs> they decided that they watched all the Netflix they can watch. Now they have to go back <laughs> and pay for it. All That's right. right. So give me some some thoughts and predictions about the rest of the year and and what business owners you know might need to know. Yeah. So a, a couple of those that that I think will kind of make sense given what we've already talked about. Um, we've already said there's a lot of liquidity in the system right now, a lot of liquidity in the system. I think that's going to continue to trigger more and more growth. Um, despite what we're seeing in the, the current here and now, right, if we two years from now can back out and, and see the bigger picture, I suspect you're going to start seeing other things that have, you know, we don't even know about right now that are going to be what people are worrying about. And in spite of all of that, you're going to have seen growth over the last couple of years. Um, it's very unlikely that we wind up in this kind of perpetual downward spiral uh, of an economy. That's what you hear when you're watching the news. And, and we just simply haven't seen that play out. Um, I don't expect this time to be any different. Uh, we have, again, we have been here before. If you look back over the last 20, 30, 50 years, you could look at any given year and there's always something that people are worried about. There's always something that we are worried about. But that doesn't mean that we need to make decisions around that thing, right? Make decisions in light of, you know, 12, 24, 36 months, not around one month. Yeah. And, uh, and I think we'll be wise as business owners. Remember, again, lots of liquidity in the system. I do expect that to continue trigger growth. Uh, interest rates, right? 
I'm going to shock everybody here, here and say the interest rates are likely to rise in the next 12 months, right? Uh, we've seen that play out. You know, we're seeing more and more uh, of the Fed coming out and saying that they want to increase interest rates. Now, there was actually one thing that came out of the uh, the Fed discussion earlier this week that I think was is potentially more telling than what a lot of people really appreciate. And, and that was when uh, the Fed came out and said they're not entertaining raising rates by three quarters of a percent. Um, and so, you know, it's I, I think given where inflation is right now, they're going to be very, very uh, determined to get interest rates up. But it is telling that there are limits to, that they're putting on this and they're not even considering uh, uh, raising rates higher than that. So I do expect interest rates to go up. Um, I think that's going to negatively impact the economy. That's kind of the point, right? You're trying to to slow down and and to cool down the economy by raising interest rates. I expect that's going to happen. But again, you combine that with what we said at the beginning, there's a lot of liquidity out there right now, right? Yep. I think it's going to take a while for that to kind of work its way through the system. Um, those are really the two big things that I think over the next 12 months are really going to be driving the decisions most business owners are making, at least from a, from a cash flow and liquidity standpoint. All right. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on today. And for everybody out there, I want you to remember a couple of things. Go to the website, theowneracademy.com, and you're going to see a couple of resources that I think will benefit you. One of them is the business wellness checkup. It's a great opportunity to answer some questions and get some immediate feedback on the I'm good value drivers that we talked about during the podcast and our video today. The second thing that you can take advantage of, remember, we're still doing our spring valuation campaign and we are doing some valuation assessments. Uh, free of charge. So go in to the website, go to the courses page, go to the valuation course, and it's going to tell you how to do that. And all you have to do is uh, put in the coupon code that is listed in the uh, podcast information below, and we'll be glad to uh, get you started on your valuation assessment. So thank you very much for listening or watching us, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Remember, work on the I'm Good checklist. It'll work for you. See you later.